ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Uh, it was Grammy week in New York City. They don't always have the Grammys in New York City, but they did, in fact, have them this week, which meant I, like, actually, you know, left my house and, like, went to stuff. Yeah. Isn't that something? Um, I went and saw a talk that D-Nice did, right? You know, my name is D-Nice. I don't really know that much about D-Nice's story, but I know that D-Nice, like, started popping up doing DJ gigs and everything else, man. Let me tell you something about like just kind of knowing the right people because D nice in some ways is an inspirational sort of tale because the rap game flipped up on him. He put out his last thing as a rapper in 1992. And then, you know, he said he had some dark years until 99 when he really got into photography. So like D nice has done um, photography for like Hennessy spreads. Um, if you watch the Chappelle Netflix specials, the joint where they show him standing behind the, um, the curtain at uh, radio city music hall with a cigarette uh, D nice did that. And it's one of those, yeah, you can always teach yourself what to do, you know, and find a new way to hustle, which is always a winner, man. Ask D-Nice about his first photography gig, man. D-Nice said he got paid $75,000 for his first photography gig. And I'm like, damn, D-Nice. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate the inspiration that you out here provide to people. I just hope they know they ain't about to be getting no $75,000 gig off the rip. Like, off the rip. I'm, I'm always interested in that, right? When cats, like, get into stuff and immediately start making, like, real bread, like we did, we uh, talked to Lil Dicky once on Highly Questionable. He said his first rap gig was a bar mitzvah. And he got something like ten G's. I'm like, damn! I need some of your first time friends because I I ain't got into nothing for the first time yet. Where anybody was putting no commas on it on the first rip. Like, bruh, for real. Anyway, did that. Uh, went to one of the Roots Jam sessions. The Roots do jam sessions apparently every year around the uh, Grammys and I got in for the uh, Saturday night joint, which was like a, like a full on winner, man. I got to see Chuck D. I hadn't seen Chuck D live. So I got to see Chuck D and Black Thought on the same stage, which involves Black Thought, assuming the persona of Flavor Flav, because Black Thought can basically become any MC, right? Like he is the morphing man uh, when it comes to that. Here's the wild thing about like seeing Black and Chuck on stage. Remember we talked about this before. Well, we talked about, um, what you call it, um, the freestyle, right? And I was like, look, who's better at rapping than Black Thought? Like, there's nobody that you're going, after hearing that, you know, there's nobody that's better than him. It's why, like, oh, who's the greatest of all time discussion becomes so difficult. And I had a moment that then exacerbated that, which was Chuck D on stage at Black Thought, and Chuck did um, Rebel Without a Pause. Which is, you know, kind of bananas. Uh, they did a verse off, what's the song called? Do You Want to Go Our Way After There's a Poison Going On album? But anyway, like I'm seeing Chuck on stage with Thought, and Thought's like one of the greatest live performers who's ever walked the face of the earth. But he ain't quite Chuck. And I don't really have an explanation for you while, how I exactly it is that he's not quite Chuck. But like I'm looking at those two dudes standing side by side, and yo, he's not like, Chuck is just that cold. Like, time has passed, and I think that we have forgotten in a lot of ways, like, just how cold and important and influential that Chuck D is. Chuck is so, so, so cold. And Chuck was ahead of the game in terms of, like, what he was rapping like in 1988 is, I mean, like, it's not quite like Rakim ahead of the game, but, I mean, ahead of the game. Way ahead of the game. And we kind of forget about that. From time to time. Let me tell you this about that Roots Jam session, man. Like, I look, 
you know, I do the music thing. I'm into it a whole lot. But one thing I never want to come across as is music snob. I don't like the music snob. I want to be like the accessible person when it comes to music. And I'll be honest with you about the things that I like and the things that I do not like. I'm not ever going to be at a point, though, where I'm going to get up here talking about I like something just because everybody else talking about how they like something. Right. And so I had a whole lot of people that were all over uh, Gary Clark Jr., and I had only seen Gary Clark Jr. on award shows, and I tried to listen to some of like the studio stuff, and it wasn't really doing the trick for me. And I then became like skeptical on an additional level, and the additional level of skepticism was um, within like guitar world. Well, hey, all right, a couple things. One thing is like the emphasis off like of like blues based guitar play is just kind of gone. So people are just so happy generally when somebody decides that that's the way they want to spend their lives. But like there's always a like a quasi Nick Hendrix sort of guy. And if you're gonna be like a real person who's into blues and guitar and stuff like that, you got to have a black dude that you you know you you know you need one. You know what I mean? Like you know you need to be able to pull one up there. Like there's bonus points to having a black dude. And so Gary Clark Jr. had appeared to be that black dude. For a whole lot of people and i just had not i really just hadn't seen it i tried i hadn't seen it so the roots jam session uh first of all run the jewels came out there and wrecked it um and then after run the jewels it shut it down with gary clark jr now gary clark jr strolls up to the stage and he doesn't come from backstage as i recall like everybody else did like i felt like he just walked on the stage i could have that part wrong anyway dude he strolled through there wearing he had, he had a he had a hat on he had a hoodie over the hat and he looked like he's about eight feet tall like it looked like he had just come in out of the rain right and he goes and he picks up that guitar and he gets in the middle of the stage and yeah folks I was late I I got no problem acknowledging or admitting to you when I'm late on picking up on something for whatever reason that it held me off of it before man I was late but he did two joints and I was just standing there like yo this is bananas like this is nuts he's so good right and the kind of good that i appreciate in the sense that like i think with guitar player speed's a bit overrated i'm here like by and large for feel and power and he plays like big handed grimy string bending guitar man i mean i was just like okay you win dude like you got this, you 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 can't the stage today. You the winner. My bad. Yeah 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 yeah. I, mean, I seeing people live thing is a, is a, is a, is a game changer upper, and that is certainly uh what happened in that situation. I would also like to note, like the homie Crit came perform, got to talk to him for a little bit. That was cool. Uh, Rapsy performed. That was cool. Um, who else is that? That that uh, I said running jewels. Oh yeah, Tank came out there. First of all, Tank was just like kicking it around with his daughters who looked like they were like 11 and 13. I was like, yo, did you forget you had somewhere to be tonight? Because I don't feel like they should be here right now. I could be wrong, but I don't. I just didn't feel like that was the place they needed to be. And Tank, yo, Tank presumptuous as hell, man. And the reason I say that Tank is presumptuous is that it's the Roots Jam session, right? So you're going to get a crowd that's there for the Roots. Let me tell you what the crowd for the Roots is not the same as. Crowd at a Tank concert. So this dude Tank doing a couple of songs. Tank tried uh, to to throw the mic out to the crowd so they could, like, you know, fill in the blanks. Because Tank think everybody there know all the words to his song. 
I don't think there was nobody in there that knew the words, no tank songs. Or at least nobody that wanted to sing the tank songs out loud to demonstrate that they knew the words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was very interesting. because So one thing about the Roots Jam session that is a little bit of a like a, a drawback, downer, however you want to spin it. Um, it's like Run the Jewels is there. I'd love to see Run the Jewels in a crowd full of people who love Run the Jewels. That wasn't what that was. Like, I don't even necessarily know what to make of what the Roots crowd is at an event like this. Like, the Roots picnic, I guess you talk about something different. But, you know, this is a little bit corporate. You know, people getting on lists and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, as someone who's on the list, I ain't, you know, hating on you for it necessarily. But I don't feel like it was a room full of people that was, like, bounded by the love of the music. There's a lot of people that's there in large part because it was a cool thing to do. So, like, they started doing Legend Has It. And, dude, like, I... I'm like, why is why why is why is nobody else like really feeling this the way that I'm feeling this? And that happens, right? As you start getting up and going to these types of events, it ain't the same people, it ain't the same way. Um, felt like that on a lot of the roots joints, right? Or it's just like, okay, y'all don't know clones. Like, I really don't even understand why you're here if you don't know clones. But that happens sometimes, man. You get big to a point. But people are there to say that they were there, but they're not necessarily in it for the same reasons as the rest of us. It's worse out that way sometimes. Anyway, that was a good time. Let us move on to your questions. All right. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, would you have chosen Damn or Faux Forty Four as rap album of the year? So can I tell you a secret? Can I be honest with you? Still haven't gotten around to listening to Four Forty Four. Like it's not on the streaming service that I use, so I, I I just never really got around to to checking out the Four Forty Four. I mean, it seems that you guys like it a great deal, but I don't know. I like Damn a lot. I thought Damn was good. I thought Damn was better than the Pimp a Butterfly. But we've talked about this before. I think the Pimp a Butterfly just a little bit too long, a bit cumbersome in some ways. I thought the Damn was a more digestible product. I enjoyed listening to it. Whatever it was. I don't know. I just want people. You got to make a call, man. Do you care about the Grammys or don't you care about the Grammys? It's one or the other, right? It is absolutely one or the other. Like, I do not understand being at this point in your life and still complaining about the fact that um, your folks ain't winning Grammys and your folks ain't never won Grammys. I, I just, I mean, I just don't know, like, what, what, like, what do you need? Like, is it a matter of looking for the validation? Because like, I look at the Grammys thing a little bit different than I look at the Oscars. Like, I feel like the Oscars, what the Oscars mean to that industry is a lot bigger than what the Grammys mean in music. Like, there are just too many out-of-this-world great musical acts who have never won a Grammy. They got, like, too many super-duper duds in the history of the selection that they've made in the Grammys, like for me to understand why people still really get out here caring about it. I mean, that, that's, that's me. So like, I, I mean, I'll admit like when Lauren Hill won album of the year, that was really cool. Cause it never dawned on me that anybody like that would be able to win the album of the year. It's the same thing. Uh, when outcast got it for speaker box love below, it was like, yo, can you believe that this happened? Like there was something nutty about the idea that it could happen in the first place. But I mean, that overall academy don't give a damn about what it is that y'all is on. They don't. 
And most of the people who are doing voting in most of the categories, if I'm not mistaken, people get to decide what categories they want to vote on. Half the time, they don't even know half the shit that they decided to vote on. They just don't. Like, this is not, it is an end. And by the way, the Grammys are crazy political record company, like record company politics are nuts in the ways they manifest themselves with who votes for what on the Grammys. I just don't care. So, like, I'll watch it because I think the, you might get an interesting speech. Or you might get some decent performances or something like that. But past that, like the actual awards, here's something. All right, you know, I ain't really trying to be that, yo, well, you know, y'all looking for the white man's attention. I ain't really trying to be that person. At the same time, let me ask you this. Have you ever watched, like, the Soul Train Awards and gave a damn about who actually won? Like, have you ever watched the BET Awards and actually gave a damn about who won? The NAACP Image Awards. Like, I feel like there's a whole rack of award shows that black people have put on. And I feel like we watch them, but we don't really care who actually wins. So why care about the Grammys? Like, I said, I mean, I really asked that as a serious question. It's such something to just kind of think about from there. That I do think that people care but so much about the validation that comes like from other black people, but really, really, really do want it from white folks. And there's something there. Now somebody says in the chat room about they're more prestigious. What makes them more prestigious? Like that's the thing about it. Like what, what is their prestige if they've been overlooking what you talking about for the longest? But that's, that's where I think the question becomes interesting. But no, I don't I don't care about those things. But I also admit, like, in my line of work, awards and stuff like that, I ain't never get none. Um, so I always declare them to not be very, very important. Or like, you know, like turning up on these lists and stuff like that. Then I started turning up on more of them. They're still not important. Like, it's still arbitrary in a lot of ways how those things wind up going down. But, like, they can't all of a sudden matter just because your people win. Oh, yeah, the Emmys, totally different. Emmys matter a lot. I got one of those. In fact, should I go get it? I feel like, oh, no, I'm still in a, I feel like a lot of, I'll be right back. Let me go get Emmy. Recognize some of y'all have never seen Emmy before. There's Emmy. Stunt form, Emmy. Emmy will join me for the rest of the program. Dude said, Emmy needs some polisher. Bring your ass down here with a rag and take care of it then. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. How slanderous are the Bruno Mars is the best entertainer ever claims. All right. Now I've talked to people who have gone to see Bruno Mars live and apparently he puts on a hell of a show. Now, New Jack Swing isn't really my bag. So this like latest incarnation of Bruno Mars, I ain't mad at him for it, but it doesn't hit me in a like, super special place and that's just not that's that that's not really nah i don't i don't love that time period and like i'm you know of that time in a lot of ways but that ain't really what i'm about you know like you get me in that phase of the 90s i'm trying to hear actual rapping you know like that's me um but the dude is really good like i I don't think there's any need to sell bruno mars short on how good he is um but I, I personally never heard anybody say that Bruno Mars is the greatest entertainer ever. I, I tell you who I know else wouldn't say that. Bruno Mars. 
Bruno Mars, no damn well. He ain't no Prince. You know, he ain't no Michael Jackson. He ain't no James Brown. I mean, there's a whole lot of people that we can pull out there that are probably better entertainers than Bruno Mars. Like, it doesn't take long. I, I mean, and if you're young, I imagine that you would have reached this conclusion that Bruno Mars is the greatest or whatever. Okay, cool. But uh, let's let's not get out here fighting straw man. I wonder how much of this is fighting straw man. Um, like, how many people actually exist that are saying this about Bruno Mars? That's all I'm asking. Uh, somebody here said Bruno Mars is catchy. Ain't never made me feel anything. I suppose that's possible. Let me tell you something. I don't know what kind of work. Like if you if you're trying to get some work done, you know what I mean. Put that gorilla song on there. And let me know if somebody start feeling something. Just let me just let me know how that works out. Yeah, somebody like he hadn't passed Beyonce yet as entertainer. Yeah, I think that's a fair one to bring up. Appreciate the question. Uh, thoughts on the Erica Badu controversy from her GQ interview last week. For this brief moment, I will ignore how much I hate thoughts. Ask a question. Anyway, um, so that's the one where she got in there and was talking about uh, how she could even see, like, the good in Hitler. That Hitler was a painter and all this stuff. And, you know, he had a terrible childhood, which I don't think was actually true. And everything else. So here's what I did think was interesting about that. Now, I would like to start by being abundantly clear that I don't think, um, and maybe she didn't know her interviewer was Jewish. Maybe it doesn't matter that the interviewer is Jewish. But going into the, you know, well, there's probably a good side to Hitler, too, was your Jewish interviewer. Probably not the groove. Not something I really recommend. Um. But let me broaden this out, right? Beyond this, I, I think that this discussion gets us to this, but I'm not just like just particularizing it to this. But so let's, no, no I don't want to put it that way. I think that it is interesting when we are upset with people because we believe they have extended empathy just a little farther than we would. Does that make sense? Because that's what happened there. The question is whether or not anyone, like basically all people, does everyone deserve empathy? I think that's the question that we're left with there from what happened with Badu. Is the question to whether or not everyone deserves empathy. Now, let me take this another step. I saw that uh, Diana Moskovitz at Deadspin wrote a post about uh, Larry Nassar. And I think it was about how the judge had kind of intimated that Larry Nassar would suffer a fate similar to that which he inflicted upon others once he goes to jail. And her point was that not even a rapist like Larry Nassar deserves to be raped in prison. And I saw someone had retweeted that today and said, imagine wasting so many words on someone like that. And so the argument there has to be that once you you can do things that are so bad that people will withhold all empathy from you. But... If someone does choose to extend the bare minimum empathy, which is you shouldn't rape the dude in prison. That is the bare minimum on empathy. Um, what is it that takes you to the place 
where you are angry with someone for not wanting them to get raped in jail. Right. Like, like, like what, what gets you there? And so I think that is kind of similar to where we were with this thing with Erica Badu, where she seemed to be saying in part that very few people are like born evil in this way, that they wind up in these places that they're, who knows where they could have gone left, what the direction turn might've been, whatever it is. Like, that's what I felt like. That's what, that was what she was trying to go for. Um, I would suggest this is, this is just me. This is you. No one has to follow my advice. Find somebody to step down from Hitler. When you want to make this point, start like, Hmm. I don't even know where you can start. Like, I don't think you can start with the DC sniper, for example. Nope, 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 nope. Nobody, nobody wants to hear about that. Uh, Charles Manson. Nope, nope, nope. That's not the one. I believe there was a baby cut out of the belly. No, no, no. It's not going to work with him. OJ Simpson. Nope, nope, nope. Not working there. Um, there's all kinds of, I think, perhaps fair questions to be asked about OJ Simpson and whether or not, uh, you know, the banging around he did of his head playing football, how that affects somebody. Right. Nope, nope, nope. It's been made very clear. Nobody wants to have that discussion with OJ Simpson because to them, that sounds too much like an excuse. Yeah. Hitler's not how you're going to do it. You're just not. You might be able. Nah, nah, I don't want to make that comparison right now. It'd be a little bit too tricky. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Hitler's not the place. Hitler's not the place. But I do think, again, it is worth further pondering what it says when we are upset at someone else for extending like some measure of empathy. Oh, you got to realize I spent four years working with Dan Levitard, the single most empathetic human being on earth. Right. Like that's always going to be his inclination is to like reach out and see the, you know, but I've never been mad at him for it. You know, like I've never been like, you know, how can you even, no, no, no. I've never, I've never been that. So like, um, like I say, just give that some thought, you know, like the idea that there are people who were mad because someone wrote something that said, you know, I don't think that guy should get raped in jail. Why would that make you mad? Appreciate the question. Uh, let me see what else we got here. Man, I hate it when this question scroll and go so slow. Okay, there we go. Should we just assume the blocks always hide at work? I don't know if you're talking about my job or your job, but the answer, of course, is yes. Is the supremacy of streaming good or bad for music? Um, I think the answer to this is unequivocally bad. And I mean, and I say this to somebody who I suppose makes a certain measure of contribution to the bad because I do a whole lot of streaming. Now, that being said, I've been buying these records lately. So, you know, I'm kind of putting some money in people's pockets. But now the the thing about streaming is this. Artists aren't making any money off of it. And I don't know what the record labels are going to do because, you know, they cut these deals that are so terrible for the artists when it comes to streaming. But the only way that this game can survive, the only way that we can have people who are out here making like really good music is if they can find a way to make some money doing it. And, the industry to save itself is going to have to find ways to pay artists more money. Like it's simple as that. Now the idea, <clears throat> I think that we're kind of at a place now where if you're trying to get your bread, then the way that you're going to get your bread 
is you put this music out here and then you go tour off of it and then you live off that or you go make some beats, you go do some other stuff, whatever it is, right? Like maybe that's going to be the way for you to make some bread. But in the end, we are only going to have people out here truly making great music if there's a way for them to make money off of it. Otherwise, these people you want to make great music, they got to go get shitty jobs, right? And them jobs kind of take away from your time working on your music so as long as streaming pays these minuscule wages to people then yeah i think the argument is absolutely there to be made that it is bad right we gotta i mean but we i really do feel like yo we gotta find a way to make it so that people can make some dope doing this what happens next like where does that go like you go look at sports, for example, we see a much greater specialization when it comes to sports. A lot more people working a lot younger with these trainers and everything else. They wouldn't be doing that if there wasn't no bread on the back end. Like that's kind of what's fueling the evolution of this is that bread. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Something tells me. So there's some dude who called himself Earl Myers is in the comments saying, would an HBCU be a great experience for my blackish daughter? or a lamb to the slaughter. And something tells me Earl Myers is not a real person. And if you are a real person, lamb to the slaughter, what the hell are you saying about me and mine? Are you disappointed that Cardi B didn't win a Grammy and couldn't give a speech on CBS? Nah, I'm not really disappointed that we didn't get a speech out of Cardi B. And you know why I'm not disappointed that we didn't get a speech out of Cardi B? Because I'm willing to settle for the fact that we got Cardi B reading from uh, Fire and Fury about Trump, like, eating cheeseburgers in bed. And she seems so, like, totally shocked that this is what it was. Like, think about what this is when that woman is hearing about your lifestyle. And she's like, whoa, that's like, that's how you get down? For real? Like, what you got to be doing to, 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 as someone put it in the chat room, to take her aback? And that was good enough for me. The other thing, by the way, that I took from Cardi B reading those passages from uh, Fire and Fury is that Cardi B don't pay no, pen- pay no attention to nobody's news. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. Uh, she got a hold of that, and she was like, you want me to read this? All right, so what's it about? Who? And he's the what? Oh, okay. But yeah. She out here rocking with one of the Migos. And she was floored to find out that man ate all them cheeseburgers. She's like, yo, why get rich if you still going to be out here eating these cheeseburgers? Like, I feel like she heard that totally from the perspective of somebody who's like, yo, baby, we ain't got to live like that no more. You never had to live like that. (laughs) She never eat a cheeseburger again, not from back, nothing. What impact could the independent release of Black Panther have on future black cinematography if the movie is commercially successful? First of all, I am amazed at the things that you guys think I can just pull out of my ass. Like, I mean, and, and, and I mean, I'm flattered by it, to be perfectly honest. Um, as it goes to Black Panther, look, man, can, hey, can people just go watch the movie? Is that too much to ask for? Like, people just go watch the movie? Like, I just, I'm... It doesn't have to be anything bigger than a movie. Now, I understand that for a lot of people, for whatever reason, it is something bigger than a movie. And I'm not going to stop it from being something bigger than a movie for you. But what I'm not going to do, I'm not going to be sitting around here counting every ticket stub that come in here to see what the money's going to be. And like, no, like, I mean, I've seen a level of dissection of what Black Panther is going to be on more levels than I have 
ever seen from any movie ever, ever before. Like, I mean, like, like it goes to the commerce of it, to just the magnitude of the idea that this is going to exist. Um, Mike, this is a thing to people in a way that it's just not to me because I don't really do movies and I don't really do comic books. Like, I'm not in the demo. I'm not that, like, it's, it's, I have resolved to allow everybody else to enjoy it. I'm not going to get in your way. I'm not going to, like, I don't think anybody's necessarily tripping whatever it is. If it's this important to you, then it is this important to you. I just wonder if people would just be happier if they would just shut the fuck up and watch the movie. Like, I really wonder that. If everybody would be, if you could just enjoy it for what it is. Because here's the other thing that's going to happen here, man. Ain't everybody going to love this movie. They're not. There are going to be some people who don't dig it. And there will be no space for those people to exist. None whatsoever. Because y'all are going to come for them. Right. Nobody's going to have the room to just not like the movie or just a simple. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. You know, like, yeah, I was all right. I had a good time. There's no room for that. There's none. There's none. So I hope that this does not become something that ultimately tears us apart. But I have already seen it. I have always, uh, the, the discussion of, you know, all the money you're spending on Black Panther, you could build your own Wakanda. Do you know how much money it takes to run a country? A country? A whole ass country? This movie might make $300 million. How far you think $300 million going for a country? Are you serious? Like it's happening. Shut up. And the movie don't come out for two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Anyway, appreciate the question. I think I just take this one more. After reading the Quincy Jones profile in GQ, is it fair to ask whether Q has become underappreciated when we speak of the greats in the musical pantheon? You read that article and you want to ask me about him being in the musical pantheon and not talk about all the wild shit that he said? Yo, this is Quincy Jones' profile in GQ. You need to check this out. Because, uh, like, Quincy Jones calls himself a ghetto gump because he's had, like, this Forrest Gump-like existence where he's bounced and been around all these different people and had all these different crazy experiences. And he says he's got 22 girlfriends right now. And you know he's 84 years old. It, it's one thing to have 22 girlfriends. It's another thing to get in a magazine and say you got 22 girlfriends where all 22 of your girlfriends can see it and realize that they're part of the 22 and be like, oh, well, well, if they want to roll out, I got 21 left. This dude said he was supposed to go to the house that day, the night of the Manson murders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daddy said what? What? Uh, one of his, he was in a car, was a car wreck. And what is behind his head? It popped off or something like that. Or somebody got smoked in the head. It come off like it was just all these things. I'm just like, yo, how are your stories so wild? He's talking about hanging out with uh, the lady that uh, did the, the the films for Hitler. And, you know, he was kind of like, I mean, I do think he had a point there. Where he's just like, hey, I mean, Hitler said to do it. What are you supposed to do? Say no? Something to that. Also said that all the Nazis were on coke. And that spoke to the extent of the violence, which, by the way, man, I can see. Um but now, man, he's had all the stories from everything, from everywhere about everybody. I mean, he also said he's going to try to live to be like 120. But my man said he got 22 girlfriends. So, I mean, I don't know if that's going to help him get there, but he ain't talking about slow down. That's right. He used to buy dope from Malcolm X. Yeah. 
I also didn't realize, like, I knew he had the aneurysm, but I didn't realize that the aneurysm was the reason why he couldn't play the trumpet anymore. Can you imagine that? Like, your life is you're a trumpet player, and now you cannot play the trumpet anymore? It was like, all right, cool. Well, I'll just start producing stuff and, you know, get my hands on some of the most important records ever made. How about that? That's the transition I'll make. Yeah, Connor in the chat room said, this is all in the same interview. This is all in the same interview. And look, I'm missing things. Like, like I'm just I'm just throwing the things out that I remember off the top of my head that came out of that. He dropped so much in there. I just can't imagine what it's like being the writer for that and being like, yeah, I could go back and I could turn this into something or I can just go through this transcript. Yeah, like I would have wanted to just send my transcript to my boss and be like, yo, you tell me what you want to keep. My work here is done. I got this old man out here rolling. I don't think you need nothing else from me. Yeah. He also mentioned, by the way, that when women came around, Stevie Wonder acted even more blind than he, shall we say, was. I suggest you go check it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Prince tried to run over Michael Jackson in a limousine. I'm convinced, though, that Prince wasn't really trying to run him over as much as Prince was trying to, like, ride past him. Very similar to, uh, oh, are there parallels between that uh, story about Prince trying to run over Michael Jackson in the limousine and uh, Prince riding past Morris Day in Purple Rain on a motorcycle and knocking him down? Hmm. I personally believe the Prince was just trying to scare him. Maybe that's just what I'm telling myself. Somebody told me they saw that part of the story. They're like, yo, I thought Mike was all nice and innocent. Man, please. Mike learned the game under Barry Gordy. Mike, ruthless as hell. No roof. Ruth free. You know what? Try to keep this brief. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the Evening Jones. Try to do this thing here once a week. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you can't catch us live, check out the podcast. Subscribe at the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Uh, check us out at SoundCloud and the Google Play Store. Figure we'll be back here again next week. Take it easy.